I tell the kids, I'll always be here for you. But if you haven't opened up the lines of communication with mom and dad, and you haven't started working with them around some of these concepts and skills, it's only going to hurt you later on down the road because you're going to turn to them. You're not going to email me in 15 years asking me questions. You're going to turn to your mom and dad. So start that dialogue, get your mom and dad educated as well. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Market Call Show. This is Louis Giannis. I am the founder of WealthNet Investments. Today, we have an interesting topic, and I'm really excited about diving in, so let's get going. Welcome to the Market Call. This is Louis Giannis, and today I'm excited to have Reed Kinder, a teacher of financial literacy. He teaches for Mountain Vista High School. Is that right, Reed? That's correct. I was excited to talk to you, Reed, because we get a lot of questions about how should I be teaching my children about money and how can I help my kids get off on the right foot? And recently I had a podcast interview with another podcaster. And they asked me the question, they started spouting out some statistics about how financially illiterate people are in general now. And they asked the question, what can we do to actually make sure that people are not financially illiterate? And we have so many problems with retirement planning and people not being prepared, making bad financial choices. And you're kind of on the ground floor. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. There was a big push Oh, probably seven, eight years ago. And we had these district cadres going on and people who were interested in personal financial literacy from all over the district, multiple schools were getting together to meet. And then, of course, it was going on right during the Great Recession. So funding never quite made it to get it mainstream and required for all kids. But anything that kids are doing, any kind of financial literacy that they're getting in high school can help. I just wish there were more opportunities for them. Yeah. And so do you think funding is a real impediment right now to increasing the momentum there in that area? Well, that's all district level and budgeting and what they do up there at the central office. In a perfect world, at Mountain Vista High School, kids are required to take one semester of economics to graduate. And I partner with and work with a couple of different economics teachers to make sure some of the personal financial literacy information is getting taught, but they have so much other stuff they need to get through in economics that they spend a couple weeks on personal financial literacy. So in a perfect world, they would have one semester of econ and one semester of PFL. Right now, I think the budgeting restraints are what is probably keeping the PFL from being a requirement. Mm. That's really interesting because economics is important too, and they're tied, but economics can be a little bit far off for people and not involved as much, in, at least viewed in their mind in an everyday world. Whereas financial literacy is like everyday blocking and tackling what you do in your own world. Yes. So it seems to me like that would make a lot of sense to have both. Somebody asked me the question, uh, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do to help financial literacy. And I said that everybody would be required to have a financial literacy class. So I'm 100% with you on that. But let's back up just a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how you got into teaching and in this particular area too. 
Like, what is your background and how did you get involved with this particular area? Well, I graduated with a degree in business and marketing from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas in 1995. And I was in the process of going through some interviews with J&J to be a pharmaceutical rep. And they started some realignment, mergers, acquisitions, and reorganization. And in the meantime, while I was waiting, my mom called and said, hey, there's a basketball coaching job open up here and basically in the hometown that I grew up in. And I'm like, oh, really? So I called and it happened to be my seventh grade wrestling coach and eighth grade basketball coach who was running this program up in Northern Nevada. And he said, can you be here tomorrow as my JV coach? And I said, well, okay. So long story short, I loved working with high school kids, particularly around coaching. So I went back to school and got a master's in education and got my teaching credentials. And I've been teaching some form of business and some technology and personal financial literacy for 24 years now. Wow. That's great. 24 years. That's commitment. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You don't see that. At least I haven't seen that very often where people switch from kind of a business degree to the teaching. So that's, I mean, maybe you've seen it a lot. I think that's great having that background. So when I think about financial literacy, tell me about what the key learnings you think are the most important for high school students to learn preparing for the real world? Because, you know, you see them every day, you know, what's on their mind. And I don't, (laughs) what do you think is the most important things they need to learn to prepare them for the real world right now? Well, I think what I think is most important and what they think is most important are maybe a little bit different. (laughs) What I, what all the kids want when they come in and learn this, they want to learn about investing and making money in the stock market. I'm like, well, that's fine and dandy when mom and dad are covering everything for you right now. But once you're out on your own, you need some basic skills. So what I think is important is it's very similar to your seven steps, to be honest with you. They've got to learn how to plan. They've got to learn how to track their expenses and track their income with balance sheets and how to set goals and how to assign timeframes and monetary amounts to those goals. They need to learn how to budget. And so that's what we spend a lot of time on early on in the class. And it's just a semester long class. And then the importance of taxes and how it's going to affect your everyday life. You know, all they see is, well, my paycheck, I 20 hours and I 15 bucks an hour should have been 300 bucks, but it was really $242. And I'm like, well, that's just one thing, but what about property taxes? And what about when you retire and your tax deferred accounts versus your Roth IRAs? And they have no idea. So we get into some taxes, we get into credit cards and how to safely and wisely manage the use of credit cards. We get into student loans, we get into home loans and auto loans, we get into insurance, health insurance, auto insurance, renter's insurance, life events. I mean, there's so much stuff. You know, this could be a year-long class. It could be a two-year class, to be honest with you. But one thing that really opens their eyes, one of the first things we do is I make them track their expenses every week, and they have to turn in just an expense report for things they spend, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm spending that much money going out to eat every single day. Or man, it really made me rethink going to the mall and what I was going to do at the mall, you know, because now they have to have it down in writing in a spreadsheet and turn it in. So I think some of that is just eye-opening where they come in thinking, I just want to learn how to make money in the stock market. Yeah, it's very, very good. So one of the things that was just going through my mind when you were talking is that you work in a high school where 
I mean, I don't know the statistics, but the income levels, I would say probably are above median to compare to yes. the nation. And maybe many of those students are used to having more than the average person. Some of them obviously wouldn't be because it's not even across the board. Have you noticed that that's affected their behavior in any way in terms of their view of personal finance? I don't think they understand what it's going to take to be out on their own and be successful financially on their own. Most of the kids in our school are very fortunate that their parents are successful and their parents provide everything they want and more. But when the time comes for them to come out and do it on their own, I just don't think they really truly understand what it's going to take. Yeah, I know I didn't. I didn't have the luxury of having parents that could take care of as many of the things that I know people in our neighborhoods around here can. And I think that does change things to some degree. And in making that switch, I know in talking to my own children, they just the real basics about how much I'm going to make. One of my children has said, you know, just buy that. And then I said, how many hours would you have to work for that? Let's break that down. Just take an average wage that you could get right now, or even let's say even after you're out of high school, let's say no college degree. And what would that be? And they're like, oh, I don't know, $20, $25 an hour. I'm like, okay, so let's divide that in. It's like, oh, I have to work 30 hours for that. I'm like, oh, okay. Is that worth working 30 hours for? And then, oh, don't forget, you got to pay taxes on that. That's really, uh... (laughs) so that's really, really good. I think everybody should take this. But one of the things that concerns me is that I have people that I know who have relatives that teach in other school districts that don't have as much privilege, right? And the struggles that they're seeing with their kids, it doesn't seem to you like those kids need this, like this help too. And are they getting it? Are they getting financial, personal financial literacy classes? Like in the inner city schools? I have no idea. Quite honestly, I don't know either. The one thing I can say is we do have a range of kids and their socioeconomic status in our school. We have a range of kids and in their academic achievement, you know, and that district cadre that I was on seven, eight, nine years ago, whatever it was, we kind of informally surveyed kids from around the district and whether it was the kid that they're barely going to graduate high school and go right into the world of work or the kid that's trying to get into Stanford, they all want this. They all want to learn how to do this. So I can't really talk about the the demographics and the different school districts because I've only been in Douglas County for the last 19 years teaching Mm. some form of this. But I do know every kid, regardless of their academic achievement, at least at Mountain Vista, they seem to want this. Yeah, so there probably wouldn't be pushback from the kids to get it, for sure. No, not at all. It's a matter of where is the priority set? Like, where does this fit in the priorities? Obviously, we need to do the basics, the math and all of that. But without this, a lot of people won't be successful. And I believe that a lot of parents are not equipped to teach it either because they themselves may not have either the knowledge or the time to teach their children. Do you agree with that? I do. When I first started teaching this class, I think six years ago, one of the questions I'd ask the kids is, are you having conversations about this stuff with your parents when you get home, whether it's about budgeting or how you're spending your money or the different bank accounts or taxes? And for the most part, they say no. And some of it's kind of taboo. It's a kind of a taboo topic in some households. And I think, and this is mainly speculation, I think a lot of it is that parents don't understand it. Mm -hmm. 
So I tell the kids, I'll always be here for you. But if you haven't opened up the lines of communication with mom and dad, and you haven't started working with them around some of these concepts and skills, it's only going to hurt you later on down the road because you're going to turn to them. You're not going to email me in 15 years asking me questions. You're going to turn to your mom and dad. So start that dialogue, get your mom and dad educated as well. Yeah. So how could we get parents educated more in this area? I mean, if you thought about that, like to what degree, and I know a lot of parents don't want to get involved with the education as much, but I almost feel like they kind of should be involved more with this part of it in some way with the education part, like a collaborative effort, but getting parents who are busy and all that stuff to do anything outside the ordinary is pretty tough. Yeah. And you know, you and I live in the same community with your kids going to Mountain Vista and I live in the Mountain Vista feeder area. And there's tremendous support from parents around personal financial literacy for their kids. I don't know how we go about educating the parents. I guess they could sit in on my classes if they really wanted to. That might be a little awkward, but I know there's tremendous support from the parents in the community. My wife's also a teacher. She teaches elementary school in the same feeder. And I've had a lot of her kids and lots of parents and they're all Every time I have a conversation with any set of parents around personal financial literacy, they're 100% on board and they want their kids taking this and they wish it were a requirement. And you know how fast word travels here. It's starting to travel and the numbers in our classes are increasing every single year. And I think that's a great thing. And what grades do they need to be in to take the class? We actually have two separate personal financial literacy classes. The one I teach is also called a concurrent enrollment class through Arapahoe Community College. So they actually get three college credits for taking it and an elective credit for the semester. So we prefer 11th and 12th graders. And really, I think it should be 11th and 12th graders anyway, because sometimes it's hard to talk money and Mm -hmm. finances and spending when you don't have a job and you're not spending money and you're not a little more self-sufficient getting yourself places, driving and doing things like that. Mm, Yeah, that's very true. What percentage of the kids that you're teaching actually have a job, would you say, if you had to guess? In the PFL classes, I would guess it's about 60 to 70% have a job. Wow, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. That's good. And most of by then they might be driving? Yes. Yeah. So that's good. So that might be a kind of a catalyst the catalyst moment, you know, when they get their first job, real job, W-2 type job, and they're driving. What kind of advice would you give parents who want to help their children along in learning these things? What key areas would you recommend that parents make a conscious effort to do to teach their children to help them along in this process? I probably tell the parents the same thing. I tell the kids, open up those lines of communication. The kids are coming home with questions or just things they want to share around budgeting or goal setting or the time value of money and compound interest. Share those with your, with your parents. And yeah, I mean, they can Google it up if they really wanted to. They can look it up together. They can use the textbook that they have. They can use the resources that I have if they all want to kind of learn it together. But if the parents want more information, I think there's probably enough resources out there for them to learn it on their own. And then they can have the better conversations with their kids who are coming home with the information as well. Yeah, I guess I keep forgetting that a lot of parents don't have the knowledge. Because in my mind, it's just like, what should we just be teaching them of what we already know? But the root issue is there's a high percentage of parents that don't have the root knowledge, the basic knowledge. So where does it start? Does it start with the current parent or does it start with that child that's being taught at school that learns along the way? 
If you worry about your investments, need to make complex financial decisions, or pay unnecessary taxes, a lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal. When you are ready to turn your peace of wealth into peace of mind, go to wealthnetinvest.com and click on the schedule a call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today. I can tell you that, I mean, I've worked as an investment person. I was an, I don't know if you know my background. I was an analyst for a hedge fund. I have a CFA and MBA and all that stuff. I managed for the ultra high net worth for a large bank and et cetera. And most of the clients that I've dealt with are really rich. And the situation that we see is that even those people that are really rich don't know. It's very, very strange. Or people yeah. who are in that upper middle class who are on the path to financial independence, many of them don't really have full understanding either, but a lot of them do. I guess the reason why I'm asking these questions is because I'm trying to figure out what would I recommend to somebody that comes to us that we're talking to and say, okay, I've got my kids are now in high school. What are some of the things that we should tell them to do, to read, to think about? That's why I asked the question, you know, if you were sitting in my chair, what would you tell a client who has children in high school that they should do? Should they open up investment accounts? There's so many things. We get these questions all the time. Should I open an account? How should I get them started learning about investing? How should I get them handling their money well? A lot of times this happens right before they go to college. Because people get yeah. this, this instant moment. It's like in senior year, it's like, holy, I need to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I mean, there's so many areas. I mean, you could start simple, go down to Wells Fargo and open up an account together and look at the different account options, the money market accounts, the regular checking, the regular savings. Talk to your kids when they get a job about using the pay yourself first method. A lot of these companies with a direct deposit they can say, well, I want 25% of my paycheck going directly into savings where I don't even get access to it. That's an easy thing to start. Have your kids track their spending. Have the more advanced kids. The longer I've done this, I'm seeing more and more kids who do have some brokerage accounts set up. And so mom and dad are helping them and they're having conversations around when to buy and when to sell. And are we a long-term investor, short-term investor? Are we looking at dividends? I'm starting to see a lot of kids who have Roth IRAs set up, which I think is phenomenal. I tell the kids, I'm like, your 65-year-old self is going to thank your 18-year-old self for doing this. So there are just so many different things. Maybe it starts with just the career exploration and the cost of college and sitting down and going through that. There's so many areas that kids and parents can talk about around personal financial literacy, but just sort of depends on the family dynamic. I know I was brought up where my mom and dad were pretty transparent. I knew how much money they make. They talked to me about investing. They talked to me about retirement. They talked to me about their pension plans. And so this was kind of ingrained in me from the time I was 13, 14, 15 years old. At the same time, I know there's kids and parents that don't ever have a conversation about this. And the kid turns 18, leaves for college, and they got to figure it all out on their own. So there's just a huge gap to say where to start it just kind of depends on what you've done up till now, I guess. Yeah, I think that pay yourself first is one that people don't know right off the top of the bat. And the tracking the spending, yes, yes. I mean, my kids have brokerage accounts. I've worked with them on how to select investments. Actually, I, I've encouraged them. They own only individual securities, individual stocks and bonds, because I want them to understand okay. how businesses work rather than just because there's so much package stuff out there, people just index and all that stuff. And that's easy. That's fine. There's some good things, 
but I really want my kids to understand how businesses work and how, what is a stock, how a stock really works, what it means for a stock to move up dramatically and one to come down hard. And what are the reasons why that happens? That's something that I personally want my children to understand because underneath the hood of all of those packaged products are those stocks. And if you don't understand how that works, I think that could be an issue. But I like what you said about the pay yourself first, tracking your spending, opening up an account and having the Roth IRA, that really resonates, especially when they get their first job, they could put a, you know, put that money in a Roth, have that tax-free. So I want to dive a little bit into this cost of college, that whole conversation. It's so controversial. And I don't want to obviously put you on the spot or anything like that, but tell me what you think, or what is that conversation that should be had that is discussing like career choice versus the cost of college, meaning I could go spend $200,000 to get an education and get a degree in basket weaving or whatever, and have no economic value from that particular education. Or I could become an engineer and maybe have an ROI on that return on investment on that. What is your thought on that? Because I had an expert come on who was involved with financing college education, and we had a big discussion about that. I'm curious to see what your thought is where kids minds are and and that whole issue of college because more and more I'm hearing kids saying I don't want to go to college which part of me says "Ooh," you know and then another part of me says okay I understand what are your thoughts on I know that I know that's a lot but well so we're just wrapping up kind of our career slash post-secondary option exploration I guess unit and I spend about four days on it and that's not near enough time you could spend a whole semester on those topics. But one of the things I try to stress to the kids is, first of all, you've got to have a pretty good understanding of yourself. So go do those personality inventories, go do those surveys of your likes and your dislikes and your characteristics and have those computer programs match you up with potential careers and then research them. So we spend a lot of time at the Bureau of Labor Statistics on their website and their occupational outlook handbook and researching careers and what you know, the annual salary is and the benefits and the schooling and everything that you need with it. And then we talk about, well, what's the cost benefit analysis? If you want to be a teacher, that's fantastic. Don't go to DU though. You don't want to spend 70 grand a year to be a teacher. University of Northern Colorado has an amazing teacher program. That's if you're looking cost benefit analysis, you know, and that's kind of where I go with them a little bit. Mm. And I know in our community, there's a huge push for going to college and Gosh, you know, the data at our school shows something like 95% of our kids go to college, but I'd like to see the follow-up data of how many actually finish, you know, because I don't think it's the right fit for all the kids in our community. For most of them, it is, but there's a severe lack of people entering the trades. And there's some amazing tech and trade schools that you can go to school for two years and spend a grand total of $30,000 and come out with a certificate and go make $60,000 a year and you're 20 years old, 21 years old. I don't think that's stressed enough that those options are out there. We have a lot of kids that love to work with their hands and love to get out and do those sorts of things. And I think they're getting pushed to college when that might not be the best fit for them. We talk a little bit about if you're not sure you want that big four-year experience, go take care of some things at community college. Go save yourself some money. Find out what you want to do. If you don't even know what you want to study, don't run off to a four-year school that costs 35000 a year. Maybe go explore through ACC and see what kind of programs they have. Get some of your core classes accomplished. And then when you're 20 years old and you're a little more mature and you've done a little more research and planning, then you can find the right 
degree program at a four-year college, or maybe that's not even it. Maybe it's off to trade school after that. So I wish we had more time to cover that, but the bottom line, you got to have a pretty good idea of what you want to do when you're an adult, and then look at the cost-benefit analysis of the different post-secondary options so you can accomplish that goal. So given that you've gone through quite a few of these I mean, I'm not sure you've looked at quite a few of these different types of jobs compared to what it costs. Are there any trends in there that you've noticed that make it either more worth going to college for versus not going to college for? Well, nursing is huge. When I was walking around working with the kids last week on this, so many kids were pulling up nursing programs and looking at the post-secondary options for that. We have a strong engineering community So a ton of kids want to go into all different types of engineering. They're looking at all different, you know, we have great schools in Colorado alone for engineering. So a lot of kids look that route. And most of the trends, you know, when you look at the Occupational Outlook Handbook, they'll show job growth trends. And most, I think the one job that kids were, or career that a lot of kids were interested in where the growth trend was down was real estate agent. Everything else that they looked at, the growth and the jobs projected over the next 10 years was pretty high. And again, a lot of them were engineering type jobs. A lot of them were nursing type jobs as well. Mm, Interesting. So did you say real estate was actually going down in trend? Real estate agents? That's what, according to a couple of kids who were interested in that profession, Mm -hmm. when they searched it up at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the growth was pretty slow Mm. when it came to those types of jobs. Yeah. And, and that changes over time. I remember when I was in college, the big trends back then was the financial businesses. That financial was a huge trend and energy was not on the radar very much at all. And then energy became a big thing. And I'm thinking about like clients that we've had who had you know, children, had children that went off to Purdue or other you know, universities that were pretty good schools getting engineering degrees, going into energy. And at first it was horrible. Now it's great. And things can be very cyclical in terms of where they go. It's very interesting to see how that works. And it's great that you're doing that, going through the occupational handbook. At least it's a good starting point, knowing that it's just a snapshot and it's not a crystal ball, but it can give you. In fact, I would speculate that by the time a kid gets through a four-year program, a lot of those trends may not be in place. They may have changed. Exactly. And I think that's where I think kids need to understand that the economy is dynamic. We want something that's really easy, like fill in the, what are the, what are those little paint things where you paint by numbers? We kind of want that and it it doesn't really work that way. That's a, it's it's an interesting question because I have been seeing that trend where clients are asking about their kids saying, what should I do? Because my child does not want to go into a lucrative field but they want to go to NYU. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of my clients are in that scenario and they're like worried about that. And some people are just like encouraging their kids not to go to college. I don't know how I feel about that. But I think your approach makes a ton of sense. So that would be good. A good piece of advice that we could pass on is have them, if they don't have the privilege of going to your class, have a discussion about the types of occupations and what the salaries are. I mean, my daughter has asked me, she says, I want to be a counselor. And we've kind of done that. We've gone through that and say, okay, well, here's what they make. And, oh, you know what? If you have a medical degree, you make a lot more money, but this is how much more school you're going to have to do. 
And she's like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then there's also the question of there's a certain percentage of people that should be entrepreneurs and it's a small percent. Yes. What do you tell people that you think might be in that category? Or do you think you could actually identify if they might be in that category? I don't know if I can identify on a separate note, we do teach an entrepreneurship class. And in other classes that I teach, we teach units around entrepreneurship. And a lot of kids, when I informally poll them, say, oh, yeah, I'd love to be an entrepreneur, you know, own and operate my own company. But I think you need that kind of creative, free spirit who also never takes no for an answer type attitude if they're going to be a successful entrepreneur. And I don't know if I can honestly say in 24 years where I've just pegged somebody like you will be an entrepreneur. I can, <laughs> I can just tell it's hard work. Yeah. And people find that out over time. I think some find out really soon. Mm -hmm. I'm in groups, a pretty well-known group that deals with entrepreneurs, high level entrepreneurs. And I will tell you that a lot of those entrepreneurs, they say I'm unemployable. And it's not because they can't do the work or whatever, but because they have that mindset of creating something new, which leads me to a question that I had for you. I've noticed a trend, and maybe you could tell me if you see this at all, but I've noticed a trend with some students or many students more and more have kind of a negative connotation towards entrepreneurship or capitalism, or they view like capitalism is a dirty word and maybe they don't know what it really means. You know, if you like your iPhone, that was made by Apple, which was a capitalist venture. Capital is any stock that you own is capital. If you have a 401k, that is capital. If you own real estate, that is capital. And if you lose that, I think people don't understand what it is. But there seems to be a overall sentiment that appears to be anti-capitalism and entrepreneur. Do you believe that that's true? Do you think that that's happening? I've never had that question asked. I personally don't see that. We do a little bit in some of the intro to business classes around the different economic systems and what makes up a command-based versus a market-based versus a socialism type things, just so they understand the differences. But for the most part, I can't recall kids being anti-capitalist or anti-entrepreneur. Okay. What would they be if they're anti-capitalist, I guess would be my question. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I guess they could be more believing in a command and control type economy or a, a hyper socialist scenario. You know, yeah. obviously we're in a mixed economy, but it's a degree of the mix. I don't think students really understand what that means, but you could see it in the voting numbers too, as for the, the students that are in college now, that would be an anecdotal piece of data that would say that that trend is there. I've noticed it with actual children of clients. Like you might have a client who was a entrepreneur, right? Who was very successful, but their children somehow think it's greedy or something. You know what I mean? But yet yeah. they like, I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not trying to get political. I'm just wondering if there is a little bit of a shift in mindset about that. I think, I think it's good that people understand the differences between the different systems. And also we have to keep in mind that we're in Douglas County, which is a little bit not representative of the nation. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have two completely separate pockets in Douglas County. But yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to, that question's interesting to me. I wonder if the economics teachers see it more, who study more around the systems and the choices made than maybe I do. Or I wonder if it's more trends when kids 
get out from under mom and dad's house and are out there on their own and being a little bit more free thinkers and out on their college campuses and subjected to other ideas and beliefs. Because personally, I just don't see it. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's not prevalent. Sure. Well, I think that's good news that you don't see it because I really wouldn't want us to kill the, the goose that lays the golden eggs. Um, yeah. Within reason, right? So this is a yeah, very, sure. very important topic and very important work that you're doing. And I appreciate that you are doing it. And I hope that we can get it to be a requirement, not just in Douglas County, but like literally across the nation, because we need people to be more financially literate because they're making poor financial choices when they get out of school. They're making poor financial choices. A lot of people are going to the right schools or making a good choice about what they do after high school. And we're seeing a lot more. I've noticed that there's a lot more split homes and kids that may not have as much support as they need. So what you do could fill a gap. They may not be able to get at home. So that's great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. And we'll be sharing this out with everybody. And you've given me some great ideas on how to give some advice to people about this topic of how to help my kids make better, smart financial choices. Well, good. I hope we start seeing the difference here in the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten years with these kids who've come through, not just my classes, but I know there are some school districts who do have it as a requirement around the nation. And hopefully we start seeing some better data on the personal financial choices and costs associated with those choices and, and the kids are making better choices and being able to adult better. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Reed. Thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thank you, Lewis. For the latest episode of The Market Call Show, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to marketcallshow.com for all our past episodes and sign up to get alerts for new episodes. If you enjoyed the content of this episode, please leave us a five-star review and comments. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. 